This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Hey, how you doing? Welcome. Glad you made it. It is another episode, although I know that the episodes have been a little bit intermittent in the last few weeks. My typical uh, schedule or hope for a schedule is to release an episode every week. I think I've missed a a week or two here or there in the last uh, five weeks or so, but some of that's been driven by my schedule and traveling a bit. And so uh, I apologize for that, for anybody who was wondering. There probably was nobody. No one has mentioned it to me, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming nobody was really uh, hurt by it, and that's totally fine. I have been looking forward to doing this episode for a while. I've been thinking about this topic quite a bit lately, uh, the topic being the future of planning for Bitcoin and NFTs, really cryptocurrencies and NFTs. I think there's a lot in it. I'll, hopefully I can tease out a few ideas that maybe you haven't considered in the past, couple of little tidbits on things that can be done now, even though the future of these systems is not perfectly clear, I think it's safe to say that they are not going away. And the reason I say that is, well, number one, they haven't gone away. I know they had a very strong blip in the history of humanity not too long ago, somewhat driven by the pandemic and people being locked up in their houses and having nothing better to do than apparently spending their hard-earned cash. Um, And I know there's been a lot of narrative around these sorts of assets that makes them the source of some (laughs) derision and memes and things like that. Setting all of that aside, I'd like to take a little bit of of an, an objective view of these assets, what they're like, how planning for them can be quite a challenge, and things that can be done, and things that I at least see in my mind as possibilities for the future. And some of the possibilities for the future, I think especially when you layer on top uh, artificial intelligence and the way that those systems are, are drastically improving, those artificial intelligence systems, that is, uh, it's a future that could look very different from today in, in certain respects. It, and it opens up ideas in my mind that don't exist today, and I'm not clear on how they would be addressed in the future. And when I say that, I largely mean by the IRS. I'm not really sure how the IRS will view some of these things in the future. So let's talk a little bit about cryptocurrencies and NFTs. So cryptocurrency, as you're probably aware, is really, it's not a currency at all. In fact, the IRS doesn't view it as a currency at all. They view cryptocurrencies as as just property, normal property which is very different from a foreign currency issued by a sovereign government. Foreign currencies are not viewed as property, um, although they're taxed somewhat like property transactions. So with foreign currencies, if you exchange into the foreign currency, it fluctuates in value, and then you exchange back into your home currency. That can cause a gain or a loss. There's some exceptions to that for sort of de minimis amounts, but that's the general rule on the the foreign currency exchange side of things. Any, anybody in an import-export type business would be pretty familiar with those things. And frankly, anybody who has uh, debt or has renegotiated debt in a foreign country 
would or should be familiar with those rules on foreign currency exchange because they affect you anytime that you exchange in or out of an economic transaction from foreign currency back into U.S. dollars. Well, in the, in the context of cryptocurrencies, of course, the exchange is happening on a blockchain ledger, a cryptographic ledger, and that ledger is then is then keeping track of the ownership, in essence, and the units of ownership of that currency, that cryptocurrency, which again is not really a true currency, but it is an item that represents some value. And like any other property, it has value if it can be exchanged for something else or it can be purchased. And the purchase price or the exchange rate then sets the value, just like Apple stock has a value because other people would be willing to pay you money to get your Apple stock. It has value. That is the value of Apple stock in some sense, um, just sort of playing off of the, the idea of it being exchangeable for something of value. Well, cryptocurrencies are similar in, in some respects. Of course, there's a lot of there are plenty of cryptocurrencies that aren't really worth much, but the, the major ones have really held value substantially, I'd say, given the headwinds. Uh, not too long ago, we were seeing Bitcoin, for example, trade for somewhere around $60,000 a coin now. As I record this, it's somewhere around $30,000 a coin. And when you look at the Bitcoin exchanges, the overall market cap of the Bitcoin market would put it, if you put it on a chart, with the largest companies in the world based on their market market caps, it would put it in the top 10, just below Tesla at the moment, which is pretty astonishing, again, considering that it used to trade for 60000 a coin, and now it is trading for 30000 a coin. In the last year, not a ton has really changed for the valuation of, of Bitcoin. And that means that certainly then looking more at my life professionally, my clients who have purchased Bitcoin still have something of pretty substantial value oftentimes, unless they bought very high, of course. Um, but they could also have something that has lost value and created a loss that they could take advantage of because the IRS has essentially said, when you sell a cryptocurrency, it's a capital gain or loss transaction. It is also clear from the IRS that if you receive cryptocurrency for services, it is treated as income, wage income, just like if you receive any other property uh, in exchange for services with some very limited exceptions, um, the rules or the general rule of section 83 says that that's, that's wage or salary income. It's, it's subject to self-employment tax, employment tax withholdings if you're an employee, etc. So uh, cryptocurrencies are no different if you're receiving it in exchange for services. All of those lifetime income tax nuances that we know about then have to be placed in proper context for how do you deal with this asset like every other assets? Well, unlike some electronic assets, I'll say, where the ownership of the asset is, is determined by the ownership that is really shown on the records of the bank or financial institution, think of like a brokerage account with Schwab, and then in, and then in that case, the access to the account is controlled by who has the right to access the account with cryptocurrencies, in essence, the ownership of the asset and the control of the ownership of that asset is in bearer form, meaning whoever has the keys, the private keys that relate to the cryptocurrency controls it and in essence owns it because once you have those keys, you can contract, contract uh, 
in transact, sorry, in, in that cryptocurrency. So it's the control of the keys that really makes the difference. Not necessarily in the, in the analogy of financial assets, it's not necessarily the control of the account, it's the control of the keys themselves that then gives you the power to act as the owner when it comes to cryptographic assets like cryptocurrencies. Same is true for NFTs too. And we'll t- I'll talk about NFTs in just a bit. So that means from an estate planning perspective, there are a few different things that we have to do. Number one, we have to recognize that these assets are electronic assets and they may need to be viewed as electronic assets in the context of state law on and, and even federal law on the control and use of electronic assets by other people. And there are restrictions on the ability to do that. Many states have adopted some version of of a uniform act that deals with the the authority to manage digital assets. The the acronym is RUFADA. That's the typical um, act, although any state could pass their own version of the act. But the key point here is the estate planning documents that a person would normally do, like powers of attorney, maybe wills, if they do a revocable trust, the revocable trust need to identify that the fiduciary who is named in the document has the authority to manage and has permission to manage these electronic assets. And I think it's good practice, especially in the context of cryptographic assets to define them, to include them among those electronic assets so that you are clear that you're giving the fiduciary the right to manage those assets and to manage the keys and to transact on exchanges and to manage wallets, those sorts of things. So you want to say it very clearly in the document. So if you have, for example, a a durable power of attorney for financial decisions, that document, uh, in the best case scenario, would have have clear authority to manage those sorts of electronic assets as well as cryptographic assets. Then uh, a trust document, for example, might give the trustee the power and authority to manage any cryptographic assets that are part of the trust. So if the keys have been given to the trustee, for example, or signed to the trustees or the authority given to the trustees, you know, the trustee would clearly have the right to step in and and, uh, manage those keys to exchange on a wallet and do anything that the settlor of the trust could have done for themselves. But they want those acts to be done in the capacity of a trustee. It can create a little bit of a tension because part of the idea in certain circles of people who own cryptocurrencies is that it is off of the normal uh, public or more public view within the financial services industry and in fact the control by a single person over their financial transactions in cryptocurrencies is is part of the appeal for them to own the cryptocurrencies to begin with so to then assign those those keys and to give that control over to one person as a trustee is a bit of a shock um and, and maybe not maybe not something that they want to do well what you could do is divide up those keys and give them to different parties those keys can be stored in either cold or hot storage cold storage being something not plugged into the internet and a hot storage option being something that is plugged into the internet and so it maybe is more susceptible to breaches but of course cold storage means if you lose the the sort of drive or whatever whatever you're using to to keep that memory alive if you lose that instrument like a usb port or something um you're going to lose the asset as well. 
So giving out the authority, maintaining the asset, safekeeping the asset become really important. One option, of course, would be to have cryptographic assets on a cold storage, place those in a safe deposit box. The safe deposit box can be owned by the trustee of a trust. And then in that way, the trustee has access to the cryptographic assets. Of course, they would need to have the private keys as well. Um, but those assets are, are being stored somewhere secure. So in a safe deposit box that presumably has fireproofing and isn't going to be susceptible to, to criminal behavior, shall we say. Uh, so those could be some ideas. Uh, of, of course, a lot of people just keep their cryptographic assets on, in hot storage wallets. Think of your Coinbase's or Binance, although Binance has been in a little bit of trouble in the news. Uh, that Those sorts of options can be good options too. It's just then giving the trustee the authority, if it's a trust, uh, over that account is important. Another option is to give the control of those assets to an entity like an LLC. And then, of course, the trustee could own the entity. And in that, in that way, the ownership of the assets is contained in the LLC. The LLC controls the keys. The LLC controls any cold storage or hot storage options for cryptographic assets. The LLC could own a safe deposit box, etc. So those are the, the general ideas. Then when somebody dies, you run into a little bit of a logical loop. And that is, we have to then determine what is the value of the asset. And what the IRS has told us is you, you really have to treat these assets like property, Okay, so there, it's not like stocks and bonds traded on an open market necessarily. Uh, you have to figure out the fair market value, which may require an appraisal. Certainly for charitable giving purposes, you do need a qualified appraisal. And for, I think for estate tax purposes, probably for gift tax purposes, you're wise to get a qualified appraisal. And at a minimum, you have to determine the fair market value of those coins at the moment that somebody passes away unlike in the context of, say, publicly traded stock, where for estate tax purposes, the value is an averaging of the high and low trading value on the day of trading, or if they died on a weekend, uh, taking the averages from the, the prior and then subsequent trading days. That is how you figure out uh, the fair market value of publicly traded stock. Well, the market for those assets has a closing and an opening, and so you can get a high and low value, but when it comes to cryptographic assets, they don't have an opening and closing of the market, and so you can't get that averaging. So you really have to pin down the exact moment, and you have to do a little more due diligence to figure out the exact value of that asset on the day and in the moment that somebody died. And again, that might require getting a, a qualified appraisal. I think probably in the best case scenario, for gift tax purposes and for estate tax purposes, you you would be well served to get an appraisal just to check all those boxes, certainly for gift tax purposes. Typically getting appraisal is important and a good idea because you're trying to start the statute of limitations, which doesn't start unless you've adequately disclosed. And oftentimes that adequate disclosure requirement means that you have to get a qualified appraisal for, for assets, um, certainly for assets that are hard to value. And I think there's some argument that with cryptographic assets, an appraisal could be required, could be required. At least you need a qualified appraiser who knows how to go and look at the records of the exchange and find the fair market value in the moment that somebody died, which may not be perfectly available just for a normal person if they don't know where to look. Um, 
Okay, so let's, so again, overriding all of that is then control of the keys. So the most important thing is control and management of those keys, which is very different from normal assets. But this is something that, that is a benefit because it is a bearer transaction and the burden of cryptographic assets like, like Bitcoin. And it's very different from normal assets that we normally deal with and normally work with. There is some corollary for it in the foreign context, although it's not really well regarded in the U.S., but for example, some un unscrupulous characters would create foreign entities to own property, to try to disguise the ownership of the property, and then that entity would have shares, and the owner of the share would be the person who, who basically controls it. They're called bearer instruments. The person who bears the instrument controls the shares, controls the ownership. Well, I'm not necessarily suggesting that anybody go out and form those ki kinds of companies. They have There are problems with them, and the IRS is not too fond of them. However, in the context of cryptocurrencies um, and the keys, especially the keys that go along with cryptocurrencies and NFTs as well, um, it is a bare form of ownership. The owner of the keys controls the assets, and therefore it is more like these bearer share foreign companies than it is like owning shares in Apple. And so you have to think about it that way, and the planning also follows similarly. So cryptographic assets like cryptocurrencies, I don't think they're going away. I think we're gonna see them persist, who knows? Um, in the future, of course, very difficult to know. But I think they're going to continue to exist and professionals are going to have to deal with them for a long time because it hasn't, they haven't been around long enough to be a common thing that needs to be managed and dealt with when people pass away. I think it's going to take, a, it's going to take some time until the generation of people who were, were actively buying and holding cryptographic assets begins to pass away. We're just not going to see um, a lot of professional involvement with those assets, but it really means they have to be discoverable, which means you have to coach your your um, your clients to make them discoverable, and they have to be carefully managed, which means you need to coach your clients to carefully manage them. NFTs are, of course, a form of cryptographic asset in the sense that they are a unique token that represents something else, and in in the normal. Uh, the more normal context, of course, this would be like um, thumbnail type art, sometimes other digital art, and his, in the history, history being like the last two years, really, of the popularity of NFTs, that's basically been it. But what can be done with the NFT is that based on the contract that underlies the NFT or the coin, the owner of that coin can be granted certain rights, uh, the so-called called smart contract, which basically just means it's a contract that's the enforcement and performance of which is driven by algorithmic functions. So if you meet conditions A, B, C, then D happens, that kind of idea, and, which makes sense. And of course, the NFTs are also traded on a blockchain ledger, so you can track the ownership. But the contemporary ownership and control is still subject to who controls the private keys and so even though the owner on the ledger might say it's one person the actual owner or the actual person who controls that asset could be someone else because that someone else could control the keys and could hold the keys and could hold the rights to the keys and therefore they would have the right to transact um, and transact on the ledger 
But I think the more interesting part about NFTs, when you start thinking about the future, what could the future hold, is that NFTs are really just a method of tracking ownership because they really just represent some other thing, right? The the NFT itself, yes, it might appear as an image or digital art, but what it really represents are the property rights that are granted to the owner of that NFT in the underlying contract. And in the typical case, although there's been some controversy because uh, OpenSea, for example, sort of walked back some of these rights for some of the artists, but in the typical case, an artist who would create digital art and then sold an NFT representing the ownership of that digital art could retain the right to receive royalties in the future. Well, it doesn't take too much of imagination to imagine that now the NFT doesn't represent digital art, it represents something else like a physical object. There are actually already examples of these sorts of NFTs that represent physical objects in the world. And the easy example is in the collectible sneakers arena. Now, if you're not familiar with this particular market, there is a market for people to buy and trade collectible sneakers, sort of like collectible footwear. Uh, think of very famous basketball shoes or running shoes that have limited runs or that have uh, very specific artists who come in and collaborate with the shoemaker to then put out a collectible piece. And these these collectible items, they're really not for wearing around town. They're for owning and trading like trading cards or you know baseball cards or something of similar ilk <laughs> or antiques, one might one might argue. Um, and companies like Nike do sell NFTs for these collectible sneakers and the sneakers themselves are stored somewhere else. And you get the NFT that tells you you own this sneaker and you can trade the NFT so you don't have to receive the sneaker. You don't have to ship it. You don't have to send it off to a buyer in order to do that transaction because the ownership is is really controlled by who owns or controls that NFT. And you can can transact on the blockchain through the ownership of the NFT. Now, imagine that instead of sneakers, we're talking about real estate. And real estate is usually a prime example because already the ownership of real estate is maintained on a ledger that tracks owner to owner to owner to owner going back in history. And so if, if real estate can be, or if the owner, I should say the ownership of the real estate, the property rights that go along with the ownership of the real estate can be represented by an NFT, you could then exchange or change the ownership of that underlying real estate by exchanging the NFT that has the rights of ownership to that property. Currently, the law maybe doesn't quite allow that to happen, although there may be ways to get around it. But right now, um, in most places, you can transact real estate only by deeds. So, for example, you have to have a, a deed that meets the whatever state's requirements are for a deed properly signed in order to transfer title to real estate. Well, ownership, um, ownership rights can be divided up and sliced and diced as much as you want. So you could divide up ownership rights contractually into something else that then could be represented by an NFT, okay? What about beneficial rights in a trust? Well, I think in that case, it might even be easier because you could have a trustee who owns the legal title to the property and the beneficial interests or whoever has a beneficial interest could be represented by an NFT that itself 
gives the holder of that NFT the beneficial property rights or the beneficial interest property rights of that trust. Because in the end, um, a trust is really the division of property rights, legal rights to the trustee, meaning they have the right to collect money and transact in property and buy and sell, but they don't have the right to enjoy personally the, the gains from that. And then the beneficial rights to the property being in the hands of the beneficiary, and then they have the right to uh, to benefit from the gains of the transactions that the the trustee is is engaging in. Well, you could you can imagine a time where that is all controlled by some form of NFT. Will the NFT look like people? I don't know. I doubt it. And will it be attached to some sort of digital image? I don't know, but I kind of doubt it. I don't even think that that would necessarily be required. What really would be and even if it even if it was, it's not that important. Whether there's an image, it's the important thing is what are the underlying property rights that that image represents. The other area that I think about a lot with NFTs is if you can divide up property rights, and that means you you know let your imagination run wild on how that could be divided up. And so take a typical kind of private equity type transaction where you have somebody who's putting a deal together, they get an interest in the transaction to manage it, to manage the business. Uh, they might get what's called a, currently called a carried interest. There may be certain performance hurdles where if the company meets those performance hurdles, then they get paid out uh, some, in essence, bonus for having performed well. And you might have investors who invest, and those investors could have varying rights entitling them to payouts if the company has money to pay out on an operational basis, or if the company liquidates to determine who gets money first, second, third, fourth, whatever, and in what priority and in what amounts. Well, all of those sorts of rights, are they're just property rights. They're rights to the property uh, of a company. Well, that could be that could manifest itself in the form of NFTs, and it could manifest itself in the form of contracts rather than in the form of partnership interests or LLC interests or shares in a corporation that then have underlying operating agreements or partnership agreements or shareholder agreements and investor rights agreements that now are the paperwork and documentation that, that, uh, underlie a typical private equity type transaction. So you can imagine all of that being governed instead by NFTs and and algorithmically driven smart contracts. So that also raises the question of can you divide up property rights in a way that isn't represented by an entity that is a corporation or a partnership, which in my mind reminds me of code section 2701. And Section 2701 says, basically, if a higher generation family member gives a lower generation family member an interest in a partnership or a corporation, and that interest is is subject to priority rights that are retained by the upper generation uh, member of the family, then in some instances, it's treated as if that higher generation person gifted 100% of the company to the lower generation, the so-called zero value rule in uh, section 2701. Well, if you can represent those property rights in the form of something that is neither a partnership nor a corporation, can you circumvent those rules? The same thing could be true of section 2702, which is the section that governs retained interests in trusts. So again, trusts are basically just divisions of property rights. Well, if you can divide those property rights in a way 
that is represented by an NFT and not by a trust at all and governed by a smart contract with algorithmic conditional enforcement and not by a trust, does that get you around the rules of section 2702? Meaning you don't actually have to have something that would meet the requirements of a traditional grant or retained annuity trust. And in both of those instances, I should say, I'm not convinced that you should be super cavalier and try and try it um, because the IRS has, has said nothing, absolutely nothing about the way that they would view those sorts of transactions in divvying up of property rights. Certainly they view NFTs and uh, cryptographic assets as property, but they haven't said, okay, then how does that relate to the way that we interpret different property rights between individuals such that it would create a trust or such that it could create a partnership, even if there isn't a formal trust or formal partnership arrangement, because there are rules to define what is a partnership and what is a trust. And it could well be that depending on how an NFT arrangement like that and a smart contract was written, the IRS could interpret it to be, under existing rules, a partnership or a trust and therefore subject to Section 2701 or 2702. But the IRS hasn't said anything. We, we don't know the answer to that at the moment. Perhaps in the future, when they're finally con confronted with people being creative and trying to use these instruments to get around rules, uh, they'll give us an answer, and then we'll know. We'll all be super smart, and we'll know all the answers, and we don't have to speculate uh, like I'm doing right now. But the point to this very, very long monologue about NFTs and all the things that could be conceptually possible to do with them is that I think we're still in early days. I think there are still plenty of, of uses for NFTs. They're not probably going to go away. Plenty of, because they're, and when I say NFT, I really mean uses of the blockchain technology and the smart contract technology. I don't think that's going to go away. I think AI could make those systems, potentially could make those systems more efficient in the future. So you could have artificial intelligence as the background doing the checking on the ledgers, um, which might increase the efficiency of those systems. And I think that, that cryptocurrencies also, they're not going away. And in fact, I don't think we've even begun to experience the true uh, transaction of succession of ownership of cryptocurrencies because the generation of people who have been all in buying them up haven't died. And when they really start dying, I think it's going to become something that's even higher on the radar of professionals, certainly in the trust and estates and, and financial advising and planning arena, and certainly in the accounting arena as well. So for all of those reasons, um, I think these types of assets are here to stay. We're going to have to deal with them in the future, and the future may not look like the present, and it's kind of exciting times. So we'll see how it plays out. Probably in five to 10 years, somebody can replay this episode and tell me where I was totally dead wrong. Hopefully I wasn't 100% dead wrong. Uh, well, thank you for joining me again as usual. I hope you've gotten some value out of this and I look forward to seeing you next time. Hey listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.